Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Yeah, you know. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. This is episode 115, 115. We are over halfway through the year, guys, but the summer is just getting started, and I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. I am really, really excited about this episode, guys. It features the Canadian G-House superstar, Cass Nowski. Now, I knew I had to have this guy on the show on eventually because he is such a talented producer and I really, really wanted to get to the nitty gritty of his production process. So in this interview, guys, we discuss, of course, his inspirations for his music and his collaboration process remotely and also in person. We also talked about his label, Fraudulent Records, which has a ton of talented up-and-comers on there as well. Of course, we talked about COVID and how it's impacting the industry on a negative and positive scale as well, and Cast had a ton of awesome insight to share. Now, although this guy is based in Canada, he is known on a worldwide scale and has some huge upcoming releases, but I'll let him tell you for himself. So without further ado, guys, let us get into it right now. Episode 115 with Kasnowski. All right, Kasnowski, my man, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I'm really excited about this, brother. Well, thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. I, you know, I've been familiar with your name since our mutual friend Solez Dean had mentioned uh, me to you. Um, first off, congrats on the success of Hide and Seek, man. Like, it's so much quick support, and it's just hit over 20,000 plays on Spotify, and it's going to continue getting in playlists. What's it been like uh, actually collaborating with Sol on a track like that and seeing all the success in such a short period of time? Uh, collaborating with Soul, I think it started like he, he released on a compilation on Box of Cat maybe right. a year ago, and mm-hmm. then I took notice of him. I was like, oh, cool! So I added him on Facebook. We started chatting, and yeah. you know, he's like a really funny guy. He's, he's he's such a troll, so we started like you know like talking a lot and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And at some point, I had this song that I had no idea whatsoever what to do with it. So I was like, yo, Soul, wanna hop on that and like work a little bit of your magic on it. Mm-hmm. And he switched it around so good. Yeah. Like he went on with it. We had the old vocal, like it, it used to say like call me daddy and yeah, some stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So just... we scrapped scrapped the vocal to make it more uh friendly for the label and friendly yeah. for shows and for streamings also. Yeah. So yeah, like Soul did an amazing job on the track, like, you really complimented my style and took it to the next level. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm really happy of what came out of this collaboration. Like, yeah, he's yeah. a crazy talented producer. He is. He's he's young in the game. I'm excited to see what he can do. But he spoke very highly of you. And I think I, when I saw him release on Fraudulent Records, I'm not sure exactly when that was. Uh, must have been in the past year, obviously. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it was in uh, September last year, something yeah, around that. Last year. Gosh, I don't know where the time is going, man. Feels like that was just yesterday, honestly. Uh, but that track was automatic, right? Uh, it was um, damn, 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 damn. What's the name? <laughs> I suck. That's my old. 
I, that's my old record label, and I forgot about it. Well, my God, you have so many releases on there, man. I do not blame you for that. I don't think you'll get mad at us either. Uh, let me low-key check on Instagram. It was Dance With Me. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Automatic was another track of his. Yeah, yeah, Automatic was on Box of Cat. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, Dance With Me. And that track had a ton of success, man. And I immediately was like, all right, Soul, because, um, you know, he's on he's on the part of the management group that I'm a part of. And he's got a ton of mutual friends. And I was like, who's the guy running this label? And he was like, dude, this guy Kasnowski. So I've been following you since then, man. It's an honor to be able to speak to you right now. Oh, well, uh, I'm glad I caught your eyes. And I'm glad you've been following the label and everything. Like, we've been putting a lot of effort into turning it into a more self-sufficient uh, machine, you know, with all the funds and everything. Because at first, it was just like me pouring money into it and not getting anything back. Yeah. But like, slowly but surely, with all the big supports, we're starting to get like more and more sales, more and more streams. Like, we're actually, each, each release, we're usually getting like a top 50 on Beatport and more. So it's been going well lately. So... That's I, I wouldn't say I make money out of it, but I don't lose money out of it. And, you know, I'm helping other artists. I'm, like, getting a group of people together, working my inner circle of contacts, mm -hmm. and, like, just enjoying music and sharing music with the world. That was the big thing behind the whole record label. It was not making profits. Because usually, uh, if a song actually ends up making profits, uh, the share that the, lab the label should... Uh, get that should technically go into my pocket. I reinvest it uh, in Madrid, like uh, as soon as I get it into more uh, promo for the artist. That's good, man. That's good. You know, I was actually talking about this uh, with someone recently. How important it is to feed into the electronic music ecosystem, right? Like a lot of people think, uh, you know, negatively about it, whether it's writers, ghost producers, engineers, all those sort of things, right? But if you're feeding it back into your own brand into other people's brands, just helping the overall community. That's honestly what it's all about, man. So yep. props to you on that. I mean, the label is doing so well, and we'll talk about that here in a sec. Um, like I said, I do want to start at the beginning, man, because I feel like you have pretty humble beginnings. You're obviously a hard worker based upon what you just said. Where are you actually originally from? Where were you born? Um, I'm, I was born in, uh, in Quebec City, okay. uh, but uh, like I've, I've – uh, a different name of what people have around here you know I, I don't have like the common French Canadian name like my last name is Castellote Chikanovsky because uh -huh. uh, my dad is uh, from Madrid in Spain and my mom is from uh, Brussels in Belgium but she uh -huh. has a German mother and a Polish father so yeah. that's where I get the Castellote and the Chikanovsky so they, they came to Canada when I was um, well when they were like kids basically like my mom was 18 and my dad was like 24 like okay. they were just starting dating and yeah they had this crazy idea of leaving the house they had by the beach in spain to come live in cold deserted canada which i really <laughs> don't understand but i really appreciate it right now looking at how world politics and everything is going i really appreciate the move yeah and um <laughs> no that's pretty much it so uh, like i'm from quebec i grew up in the middle of nowhere with uh you know my only neighbors were probably tractors and cows and stuff really? like that yeah i live really in a, like a small village called frampton and i live like in the um, agricultural agricultural side of it so it's like nothing like nothing like it was an hour car ride to go to school every day so <laughs> wow holy shit that's that's what we call the boonies of Canada then, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, yeah, humble beginnings. I was very right, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, so... I love that, yeah. man. 
Well, what was it like then, I guess, growing up? I mean, your parents obviously have so much European culture in their in their blood and their hearts. Was there music always when you were growing up or when did that come into your life? Uh, my mom used to always play guitar and sing to me, like before bed and stuff like that when I was a kid. So music has always been a part of my life. And I remember, I think it was on my 10th birthday, I asked for a uh, bass guitar to my parents. And like bass, has, like bass guitar has been my main instrument like throughout my whole life, uh, high school, college. I used to play in bands and stuff like that. Yeah. But I also dabbled into more, um, you know, um, like orchestra stuff. I used to play saxophone. I actually like recorded a little bit of saxophone here and there for some tracks. Uh, I used to sing a little bit, but that went really poorly. And uh, you know, guitar and bass, those are primarily my stuff. So wow, yeah. that kind of that paints a picture for your type of G house pluck, man. Like I actually, that's that's really cool because I talked to so many people that are electronic producers now, right? And mm -hmm. I remember my parents pretty much forced me to play guitar and I eventually just gave it up because I didn't want to do it. But there are a lot of people who either find a genuine connection to the type of music, whether it be guitar, piano, bass, singing, whatever it is. And now we can translate it into making electronic music and it's such a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the, the thing that maybe transitioned to electronic music is when I got into university back when I was like 16 or 17, mm -hmm. like my band, my, the last band I had, like I used to play folk music and like, you know, French Quebec folk music and stuff like that. <laughs> and the trick was, um, the thing is, I'd say is that I like I skipped a grade and I'm in September. So I got in early also. So I was like two years younger than everyone. So the only way I could get into bars was to be part of the band. So if I was playing, I was allowed <laughs> to go into the bar. They wouldn't check my ID. Like nice. ever since, So I could go into the bars and be like 16 or 17. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as my last band broke up, I was like, how can I continue? to create music without depending on other people you know without having those jam sessions and having to coordinate everyone being there so mm -hmm. that's when i started like you know experimenting with electronic music and then i went to a festival my first festival which was escapade music festival in ottawa mm -hmm. i went there with a couple of friends like i had no idea what electronic music was and i totally fell in love with it and I happened to play at that festival last year so that was like a huge like a huge stepping stone for me and a huge achievement because i was like that's the festival that made me discover electronic music and i got to play it like four years four years later so that was great Maggie, that's that's incredible because i was gonna say talk about full circle right like yeah. i was doing some deep research on you today and what an incredible lineup to be a part of but for you to say right now, that was the first festival where you discovered electronic music and got that real, raw, live, visceral experience, right? Exactly. Do you remember who you saw at that festival? What 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 year was that, and who was some of the headliners? Um, that year, uh, it was it was back when Progressive House and Big Room was really big. So I didn't know much about electronic, so I just followed my friends and went to all the main stages and everything. Right. So it was probably some Progressive House acts. Was probably, I think it was uh, Steve Angelo, Bass Jackers, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. all, all the, those old classics from 2015, 2016, you know, yeah. and in the air kind of music, like yeah. super, super yeah. nice. Huh? But um, later on, around like 2016, uh, at the end, at the summer 2016, I started like discovering like the more like deep house, tech house, techno world. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's where I fit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any friends who kind of introduced you to that? Because, you know, I grew up in the same era, man, and in that 
you know, let's call it 2012 to 2016 time. That was the Alessos, the Swedish House Mafias, like you said, Axwells, Bass Jackers, all this big room, Hardwell, of course, too. Yeah. And it took a friend of mine, uh, actually, who was from Europe, that introduced me to really that tech, that deep, the, the, the uh, progressive side of techno rather than progressive house. Was there anybody you remember that kind of was like, this is what it's all about? Uh, I had a couple friends that back then we would call hipsters that would be like into <laughs> like the whole like more tech house vibe. And I was like, you know, getting them into it. Like, you know, it was like Dusky was big back, back then, yeah. um, like some kind of artist like that. And I think also my manager, uh, which is uh, Justin, my manager, at first we started making music together. Uh, he was he he was starting to produce he started to produce like a little bit earlier than me mm -hmm. so he's the one who actually introduced me to ableton helped me a little bit with everything mm -hmm. and as time went on like he went more into like the managing side and we started like a bunch of projects we have uh, the agency we he helps me like with my label but like in uh, all, all for all we have the agency we have four record labels under the agency's name uh, we do management bookings, uh, Canada, US, Europe. Uh, we make events also. So we've been like spreading our wings into a lot of a lot of projects. But yeah, I think Justin is one of the guy who introduced me into the more underground side of thing because like he was a, like a tech house head mm -hmm. back in like 2016, that, that UK Mark Knight stuff. Yes. And he slowly drained me into the underground world, into the uh -huh. underworld. I always love asking that question, man, because it's always one or two friends that you're still really good friends with right now, because although house and even tech house become more popular, especially in North America, but on a worldwide scale, there's still people just still kind of inching into it, right? But once you're in, you're so, you're so into it, you can't ever come back to anything, right? Like, you're telling me if Mark Knight's playing on one stage and Alesso's playing on one stage, probably going to be a Mark Knight, right? Uh, I, well, well I I'd probably go see Alesso because I've never seen Alesso and I've seen okay. Mark Knight like 40 billion times. But <laughs> if I had the choice be between Tech House or like Progressive, I'll go uh, Tech House all the way. Right, exactly. It's it's such an interesting um, just combination of feelings that you get from the crowd at those sort of things. Yeah. But like I said, I love asking that because those are still the most influential people for me in my life. Like my manager right now is someone who introduced me to different types of Tech House and House as well. Yeah. That's great you're building a business together though. How long have you guys known each other then? Uh, we've known each other for the past maybe four and a half, four and a half, five years. I think like summer 2016 is where we met, 2015 and 2016. Like uh, we were both like, like I just moved in into Quebec City and I was like trying to find some local DJ gigs and he was yeah. like a local DJ back then. Mm -hmm. So we kind of like used to be in the same like music groups on Facebook. Back yep. when like groups were still a, a cool thing on Facebook. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, we met through there. We started talking. We had a meeting and then it really it clicked like really fast and we started having all those projects. We used to have a duo together called Ugly Sweaters and we were making <laughs> Melbourne Bounce. Nice. It was, it was horrible. But Melbourne still. Bounce. Wow. Yeah. Will Sparks over there, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. That shit was good. <laughs> that shit was good, man. Was he the person who introduced you to Ableton then? Like, when did you actually start producing? When did you download it? What was the timeline for that? Um, I used to produce a little bit back in high school on Cubase, but it was not really producing. It was like recording like instruments, like, you know, more acoustic stuff and everything on Cubase. Right. And then I started 
started my hand a little bit at FL Studio, but I was like horribly bad. And Justin was working on Ableton, so I did the switch to Ableton. And you know, I watched him work and helped me a little bit. And from there on, like it just grew, and I started being a full-on Ableton nerd. I love that. Of course, I, I use Logic myself, but I got to tell you, well over half of the music producers use Ableton, man. So. Mm -hmm. I've only heard great things, and I've certainly worked in it a few times on collaborations and just in the studio and stuff, too. But Ableton is definitely the most popular, I feel like. Yeah. It is not the sexiest, for no, sure. No, sexy. Yeah, but it gets shit done. It's... FL Studio is colorful. I feel like I'm playing yeah. a game almost, right? Yeah, exactly. FL really appeals to, like, the gamer crowd. It really, like, it, it yeah. feels like you're playing a video game. It's, like, super colorful. You got all this UI. It's really yeah. fun and everything. That's awesome, man. Well, you obviously, I was, I was, like I said earlier, doing some deep research on your music since day one. And to me, as a producer, as a DJ, I feel that your sound is a, a true combination of a lot of different genres. You've got G-House, of course, too. You mentioned about you know, the bass plucks, that seems like a, a huge integral part of your uh, productions, tech, like we've mentioned, bass house, and even a little electro, too. Um, again, congratulations on all your success as a producer. You've been supported by Oliver Heldon, Steve Aoki, Sean Frank, Dr. Fresh, recently Pasquale, Rotea, and Hardwell. So you've worked really hard. Again, I want to acknowledge you for all of your support, man. It's well-deserved because you've got a sound. How would you define that sound, though? Uh, I'd say it's like, it's just house music, but with like the, the, the base of it all is house music, but I think it's just my sound and it stems, I think a little bit from a kid who started producing and, and I had no idea what I was doing and I had no preconception of like what tech house was, what techno was. Like I started, I started producing music as I was discovering the scene. So I, I wasn't like a avid listener of like, oh yeah, that's like, uh, 2012 house track and whatnot like I have no idea what the classics are I just started discovering the music and I was like oh that's dope I want to do it and yes. you know I know really I really no preconception of what was what so I don't like to define myself into one single genre yeah and when I get inspiration I tend to like get inspiration for a lot of different artists that I just like like not just like I don't focus in like one genre by itself yeah, I think it goes to show from the variety that I just said of people that have supported you, right? Like all the genres that you're incorporating, all the different artists that play your music. It says a lot about, you know, where you get your inspirations from. Have there been any, um, you know, mentors along the way, whether it be production or influence that you look up to? Uh, I'd say my biggest mentor was uh, Kiliox. I don't know if you remember Kiliox back in uh, 2016. Mm -hmm. He was uh, starting with the, all that Future House movement alongside the uh, Eldens and Chambi um, oh, and everything. It's ringing uh, a bell now that I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. He, did, he did a couple remixes that went really, really well. He did the remix of She Knows and he did a remix of... Um, that's how it is, and that's how it goes. Uh, bum, bum. Yeah, I don't yeah, really, yeah, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of, yes. Yeah, and you had that track, One Deeper, also, with the uh, option available, which is now Kirby. Yep. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that guy, Kiliox, I, I did the three tracks with him. Nice. And, um, they're, like, back in 2018, but, like, that guy was my biggest mentor. I uh, he helped me a lot to learn about the music industry and learn about the uh, production in the studio. Like, I used to spend days just, like, sitting next to him and, like, watching him work and, like, yeah. just getting some knowledge in, you know? 
Yeah, passenger seat, right? Mm-hmm. Every time I'm working with somebody in the studio who I know is better than me, and they're like, uh, yeah, so you want to like get behind the computer? I'm like, no, you're driving, man. Like, I'm sitting passenger, I'm watching, I'm taking notes. That's the best way for me to learn. How, how have you gone like without actually like, if you can get deep on how you feel you've actually gotten better from guys like that, YouTube university type stuff? How have you gotten to this point now? Uh, how I got better, I'd say, is definitely by harsh criticism and by listening to what people have to say and working with other people. Like, listening is one of the most underrated thing in the world, not just for music, but to learn as a whole, as a person, you need to listen. So just sit down, shut your mouth, and listen to what the other people <laughs> have to say. Even if you don't agree, uh, like totally agree with it, maybe just try it try what they might uh be suggesting you and along the way you might discover some uh some cool things you know it might not suit the song but it might work for another project and i also think mistakes are one of the biggest things to learn from Mm -hmm. and also just sheer boredom like when you're on a synth doing some sound design and you just start clicking random stuff and then you play (laughs) Sometimes yeah. it works wonder, but I think mentorship, l- listening, and not 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 have like um, not be ashamed of critics and like harsh critics. Usually, people that people are close to you that give you really harsh critics are there to help you. They're doing it because they love you and they want to see you progress. Like mm-hmm. have this kind of. Um, of a critical relationship with I don't know probably heard the name Dave Summit yeah he's a guy from uh, Quebec City he's like he's 19 and he's about to murder the whole game you have no idea what, what what's coming I saw his name on a fraudulent ADE lineup yeah. yeah yeah exactly but he's about to take over like you have no idea <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be insane but uh yeah we have that really harsh criticism like kind of connection so I'm literally gonna send him something and says yeah I gotta tell you, that's bullshit I hate that. And I'm going to be like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And it's like working on it. He sends me stuff and I'm like, yo, that's bad. Just don't do that. So I think when you're really true to criticism, listening and giving it, that helps. You know, you don't critic someone just to be mean, but like be uh, honest. Honesty is like the best policy for everything also. Yeah, absolutely. Two things from what you just said, man. One, authenticity, of course, is extremely yep. important. Um, I, I really couldn't agree more, right? Like when you almost don't want to let someone down with criticism. So you say, I like this, but, you know, I would do something better at this, right? Just say you don't like it if you don't like it, because as a creator, we're trying to look for feedback. It's hard mm-hmm. enough already trying to make something that people can have an opinion of out in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's great that you're getting feedback from other people and you're giving feedback too. Second, making mistakes on purpose almost uh, a worldwide producer that we all know cashmere he has made a lot of his songs on accident he says yep. like a g6 the bass pluck he accidentally dragged it into the wrong uh track and it switched the <laughs> instrument instrument on him right so it's okay to create your own workflow and it sounds like you've really got your own style right tell me real quick when you come up with inspiration or an idea does it take usually the same amount of time to make a track or what does it look like door to door? To make a whole track, it depends. Like sometimes I have like really productive days and I'm going to go through a whole track in like three to four hours yeah. from uh, starting a starting ID to the final mix down. And I'm going to listen to it the next day. I'm like, 
everything's fine like the mix down the stuck yeah. and sometimes i'm gonna work a whole day on the track i'm like all right i'm gonna bounce <laughs> that i'm gonna listen to it tomorrow i'll listen to it then i go listen to it in the car and like yeah some elements are missing and whatnot and you know i work a couple days more into it but i try not to spend too much time on a song like if i get really stuck in the loop on a song like i don't know how to make it sound better or yeah. usually it's that i don't find that little element that's going to bring it to the next level that's going to turn it into like uh an okay well-mixed song to a good well-mixed song or a great well-mixed song you know yeah uh, so what i do is i just uh i'm just gonna dm a friend of mine i'm like yo i got this song i've been working on the past couple days i'm stuck want to hop on it so i've been working on a lot of like i have a lot of collabs going on because of that because i don't like spending too much time on a single idea yeah. so it's basically my singles that are coming out are songs that i popped off in like three to four hours and the collabs <laughs> are the songs that have been stuck for like maybe more than 15 hours and i'm like yeah screw it <laughs> <laughs> Of course, man. And you've had a lot of great collaborations, too. Um, I, how many songs have you made any songs with actual like uh, a real singer or are they mostly just dub vocals that you do yourself? Um, re real singers. Uh, I made a disco record a couple of years ago with a singer from uh, Quebec. Uh, she was under I think she did under the name of Chloe Starling mm -hmm. because uh, I think she was like doing a TV, like the voice, like the TV show at the same time. So she had to oh. use another name or something like that. Absolutely. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I did that song with her. Uh, I've been working on a couple other projects with singers at the moment, but I think other than like just straight up bought like bought vocals from packs yeah. or like messing around with splice, I, yeah, I have only one so far that's out with a, like a, that I actually recorded the the girl. Of course, and the reason I asked that was because I want to know about your collaboration process, whether it be remotely or in person. Obviously, you mentioned the guy who's one of your huge mentors. You worked with him side by side. So as Dean here is in Chicago, tell me what it's like, uh, if you have any advantages or different advantages or preferences from working with someone, whether it be remotely or from far away or remotely or in person, I'm sorry. Uh, I think working directly with someone brings, uh, you, it's going to be more of a make or break situation because yeah. you're either going to like each other or not. And that's really going to impact on the workflow. So you're going to know from the get-go how it goes. So I'd say working directly brings better, uh, like brings a better product at the end. But yeah. sometimes the process is longer because I, like you've been making music. You know what it's like to go see someone into their studio. Half of the day, you just mess around and don't actually work. You just <laughs> joke around, watch videos, do stupid stuff, crack open a beer, yeah. go out, go see some friends. You don't actually make music. So once that whole thing of like just chilling <laughs> and getting to know each other is off of the off of the table, yeah. now you can get into making music. And since you have a great connection with the person, now like the IDs flows really fast and really good right uh working from a distance is also great but the thing that is hard is not having the immediate fit like the immediate feedback right from uh, the other party you're working with so yeah that's why it's like i just bought like a microphone i i, I made myself like a little setup to actually record singers here like bought a preamp brought about everything to right. actually have the person here uh physically to sing so it's going to be easier to give like feedback and make adjustments like on the go 
Love that, man. I, I couldn't agree more, right? It is it is an interesting thing. A lot of times you meet people for the first time, of course, when you're going to produce together. And then there is that that kind of raw experience that you have with a friend. Sometimes these people become better friends than your production buddy because you realize, oh, wow, we have the same exact interests on all these different things. And that's actually kind of the beauty of it, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good thing. That's a thing I love about music because once you get into the studio with someone who produces music, like you know you already have that big thing in common with, yeah. which is like a big like part oh, of your wow. life for yeah. both of you <laughs> so chances that chances are that you have a lot of other things in common so usually the people you get in the studio with ends up being good friends yeah i mean and that's a connection that you can't really get on distance like you know when you're doing like internet collabs but internet collabs are really cool because you can get into markets that you wouldn't get by being there because let's say like i've been doing a lot of collabs with people in europe to expand my reach in the european market yeah like i cannot like if it wasn't for the internet i wouldn't be able to do that so it it, it has its downsides but it, it has that upside which is um exporting your brand in other markets really easily yeah absolutely i love that and, and that's a great business mentality that you have as well too i mean obviously the success of fraudulent records and, and yourself individually too. It's great to collaborate with people in other markets because that's how you get popular in other markets. And that's kind of the double-edged sword about the internet social media world, right? Is it's so hard, but so easy also to get yourself known in other places through media, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that I've realized, it's like back in the days, if you had like 10,000 fans, it was 10,000 fans from your hometown and around. So you could make shows and be a local celebrity. Today, you have 10,000 10, fans on the internet. It's like five over there, 10 over there, whatever. <laughs> so basically you cannot sell any shows whatsoever, nowhere in the world, but yeah. you have a little bit of recognition. So it's hard getting that traction to actually make some shows abroad or having a tour because your fan base ends up being super spread out all over yeah. the world because you don't focus solely on what's directly around you. That's true. That's a really interesting perspective. I know I've, uh, I've thought about those things a lot and I've interviewed a lot of people who really take a good hard look at the data of their Spotify listens, their, their SoundCloud, YouTube, whatever it might be. Because, you know, now, of course, with coronavirus, and we'll talk about this a little later, everybody's on the bench and, and you and I have messaged about this. But when such a huge aspect of a, let's just say, a DJ career is performing live and finding where your fans are so they can come buy tickets to see you live, when you spread yourself thin, it looks great on social media, but it doesn't look good in the pocketbook. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. <laughs> That's how it goes, though, man. That's yeah. the world we live in. Um, I want to ask one last question about your music. Across yep. all of your plays, hundreds of thousands, man, is there any track that means the most to you? Uh, a track that means the most to me? Yeah. Uh, I would say my first one that I ever got out, it was Underground Bakery, which was, I think, the yeah. start of like my sound and everything. I played it Tomorrowland, right? Oh yeah, it got played Tomorrowland. It was like, all right, first release Tomorrowland. All right, <laughs> that was crazy, but maybe I should try this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not that bad at this, but you know. <laughs> but it was actually like I made the whole song, and uh, Kiliox helped me a lot. Like he did the whole mix and the master to actually, because I had, I had the IDs back then, but technically I was still bad because I've 
been producing for what maybe like five months yeah. on my computer so i was still technically really bad so i needed help back then so he did the mix and the master and everything but uh yeah that first song i think is pretty dear to my heart because uh, it was the beginning of a new adventure and it was the beginning of like okay i'm turning my life into this whole music thing mm -hmm. and uh, also we made a really funny video clip of it on youtube i don't know if you ever watched it no i will oh yeah you're gonna love it i, I was so young and so thin it was incredible <laughs> <laughs> so young so thin the next the next uh solo release from kasnowski <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. Now, I want to ask you specifically about Fraudulent Records. You mentioned yep. it a few times already. When did you actually start this label, and what are some of the reasons you started it? Uh, I think the label, we start, I started it in uh, March. It was March 2018, and I released an EP of mine through the record label. And I think the, my first idea behind it, like I said uh, earlier, was to create a community and you know, get more people into this circle of artists that I'm working with and that I'm networking with mm -hmm. because the people that, that have taken over the electronic music scene for the past maybe uh, 15, 20 years are, are the Dutch when you look at it. And why they've been doing that is because over a couple generations, they've been working together, creating collective, creating labels and helping each other out. As in America, like America, Canada, all that stuff, uh, you usually see every DJ and every producer all for themselves, trash talking everyone and yeah. stuff like that. No one wants to actually give in or everybody's undercutting everything. And they're, mm -hmm. well, now it's getting better and better, but it used to be like maybe four or five years ago, a really harsh mentality. And it was like a, a whole gladiator ring, you know? Yeah. So it was like, why not be one of like one of the first like in Canada to actually start growing a circle growing like a community and it just expanded to a lot of uh, European artists like I have a great connection with like uh, the French artists because um, well Quebec and France are always interconnected whether you like yeah. it or not yeah so <laughs> I've been working a lot with French people like a lot of on our lot of on a lot of our projects, there's like French people involved, French artists, French uh, producers. Yeah. And uh, no, that, that was a really, I think, yeah, the, the main idea behind Fraudulent was to create a community of people at first. Yeah, absolutely. And a great point about the Netherlands, man. If, if uh, you know, I remember when I first started really getting into electronic music and I started finding out where everybody was from. And I remember seeing this picture of all these Dutch DJs wearing Netherlands soccer jerseys. And yeah. Armin Van Buren, Martin Garrix, Afro Jack. I mean, I mean, the list goes on. Tony Jr., Yellow Claw, right? Like, we could go all day on Dutch DJs. And those guys got each other's back. And I definitely resonate with you on the competition in America, uh, North America specifically, too. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's really, really awesome what you do with a record label just in general, man. And it's a lot of hard work. Um, how many people have you actually had on the label now? Do you know how many releases you've had? uh so far we had uh we're on, we're gonna we're going on our 23rd release so about i'd say i'd say around 50 artists we had so far because i try to keep it uh, a single release per month 
mm-hmm. uh, because I want to take some time to actually promote it well. Like, I don't want to be like one of those startup labels that just like pulls out a track every week and like right. the track gets forgotten for uh, forever. Right. Uh, like, I want to properly push the track to radio shows, to DJs, get it out there. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll, like the, the past couple tracks we've been working on, we've been getting like really good feedback from a lot of artists and we're getting like radio plays. Uh, satellite radio plays and like good support from bigger artists so from my standpoint quality it's really quality over quantity for a record label uh but sometimes i just can't say no to like so many songs because like you know you're like okay i'm like stacked for the next um for the next six months but that's basically like maybe six song eight song if you got a couple eps down there so it's like it breaks your heart so every once in a while just pull out a, a compilation like uh i do have a compilation with uh ghetto ghetto records mm-hmm. coming in uh, july nice that's great man and, and for those that don't know from that marketing perspective because i know there's a lot of people right now who are taking a good hard look at their brands at maybe starting a record label what have been some obstacles you've had to overcome whether it be promotion or social media or finding the right artist the right sound that's like that type of stuff uh, I mean, I think it's uh, the same obstacles as anyone starting thing. It's uh, no one's gonna take you seriously at first because no one likes your stuff. No one's right. know about you. So of course, when you're gonna do the, your networking, your pitching, and everything, when you're gonna, um, when you're gonna, um, I'd say, like find some uh, some people to help you with promotion. They're gonna ask for more money because they don't know if it's a good product. They don't know if if you have an actual reputation. And when I started the label, like I'm just a little kid from like Quebec, like no one really gives a crap about me. So right. you know, it's it's hard at first getting some good artists on on the label. You know, it's building stuff from the ground up, like one step at a time. Don't reach out to like super big artists because you're gonna get laughed at. Yeah. But try to find some hidden gems amongst like the smaller artists that you can have a grasp on, like you can connect with. I mean, and then just start build one month at a time, one release at a time. Like just go a little better, a little better, and after a couple of years, uh, you're gonna get like someone like you're gonna get a guy that uh, say that release on musical freedom uh, at some point, or right. you know just. Don't try to burn uh, to like um, to burn steps, you know. To just don't try to move forward too fast because you're just gonna end up hurting yourself and your brand along the way. Of course, it's it's definitely a humbling experience starting from nothing and going to something, right? Yeah. You know, to to mention Hardwell again, I listened to a deep interview. He obviously, you know, is taking time off from touring. Everybody has now too, but even before, and he was talking about what it was like to really get started, and a lot of people laugh at you, right? And and yeah. Whether you put a chip on your shoulder and make that motivation, you do have to know that no one is going to believe in you in the beginning, right? So if you mm-hmm. if you just keep persisting and, and and you know use patience like you just mentioned, then eventually things are going to happen for you because a lot of people can't wait that long, right? Yeah, and I think uh, when you said that nobody takes you seriously, that's actually a common theme amongst all producers that i know like everybody got bullied for being into music everybody got bullied for maybe not doing well in school and focusing on like producing music not being socials and stuff like that because of of course you're gonna agree with me there's two kind of djs there's like dj dj which is like a cool frat guy who goes to party and you know (laughs) he just plays some song that's a that's that's a that's a dj but like a producer actually takes 
thousands of hours and sacrifice upon your social life and other yeah. stuff and like it's a risk because let's say you give it all from your if, let's say you give all your 20s into music like into the music thing and it horribly fails for some reason yeah you're back at you're in your 30s and you're at the starting point that everyone was 10 years ago let's say like career wise and everything so it's a big risk when you think about it so people don't always understand that and at first when you're like uh, 18 20 people are going to make fun of you because you don't go out you don't drink you don't do all that stuff that yeah. kids usually do so yeah it's it's kind of weird like I have all these people from high school, I see them on Facebook, they're married, they have kids, they have houses, all that, that stuff. And like, we were supposed to have our 10 year reunion this year. And I like, it didn't happen because of uh, the Corona. And I'm like, I'm kind of glad because everybody would have their whole life figured out. And they're like, what you doing? I'm like, no, nah, I make noise on my computer and stuff. <laughs> but it's yeah. working out because what it, what it, is it bringing me? Like I, put all the effort and slowly it's starting to be it starts to you know uh, being great because now I can travel the world have some shows meet a lot of interesting people you know it's not it's like blood sweat and tears but after like four or five years you know you start seeing the the light at the at the end of the tunnel a little bit so yeah, yeah but the pressure from people at first is really hard and like I'm lucky because my parents were really supportive of that, but I know some people that some parents are really not into it. They're like, you're going to finish off your studies. You're going to have to work there, do all that stuff. So yep. it's hard to be honest. Absolutely, man. Well, I bet those people are biting their tongue with all the success you've had with live shows, man. I mean, with all of the success you've had with your music, with your record label. I mean, you mentioned when we first started, first festival you went to was Escapade. Now you're playing that festival. That was last year. You played at New City Gas, right? Which is mm -hmm. one of the biggest clubs in the entire world. That is world-renowned, man. For those that haven't seen a Kasnowski set, and they certainly will because you ain't going to stop, right? What would you describe as your type of lifestyle? Uh, I usually start off uh, pretty chill, pretty slow. Like I used to incorporate as many genres as possible in my sets. So I usually do a progression. Like I don't like those artists that are gonna get stuck on the same vibe for like an hour, an hour and a half. Like okay, it's right. cool, but it gets boring. It's like bangers after bangers after bangers. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what I usually like to do is like start slowly, you know, seduce them a little bit with some tech house, and then I can oh, go. Okay. Yeah. You, you bring out the tempo a little bit, you go into like some, oh, like you bring in some disco stuff, some funky vibes into it, and then you just uh, switch off the whole vibe, you go like full techno, they're like, oh, God, what happens, like going dark all of a sudden, and you bring back the energy with like some more up-tempo stuff, you go yeah. to like uh, a little bit of um, a bass house vibe, yeah. and sometimes, let's say I have a dubstep act playing after me, I'm just gonna go all out, I'm gonna play some like, uh, like speed outs or mid tempo and stuff oh, like that. I'm guys. like, I like to incorporate as much things as I can. Like, I brand myself as a hard house artist, but you might hear some uh, 80s music classic in my sets for some reason. <laughs> I like that. Well, I mean, you mentioned in the beginning you started as a you started as a DJ before you're producing, right? Yeah, I used to like DJ a little bit, like in uh, local bars and stuff, to mm -hmm. make uh, ends meet and stuff like that. Because yeah. uh, like the 
Well, the first time I started DJing is because the bar that I was playing with my band when I was younger, there was always a DJ pl playing after us. But like sometimes he wouldn't come in. So I was like, uh, the boss was like, yo, is any one of you a DJ? And I was like, I can try. <laughs> Humble beginnings. That is the root of this interview, man. I absolutely love that. And I ask you that because just your description of what your live set would be, that's to me, that's a true DJ, and, and although there is the, the, let's call it the misconception of a DJ producer, right? Yeah. Sometimes there's producer DJs, but I do believe some people, I started off as a DJ, and I structure a lot of my productions off actual, how is this going to fit in a set? Do you feel actually, just to bounce back to the music really quick, do you ever produce music with a thought in mind? I'd love to drop this at a festival. I know this would work well at a club, or I know this would good go, work, work well on the radio uh usually i just go with whatever happens happens like usually i'm just gonna play around the center around just look at some samples and yeah. something's gonna pop off in my mind yeah and i'm just gonna go all in with that idea and sometimes i have no idea where i'm going with that idea but <laughs> i'm still going through with it and at yep. the end i look at my product and i'm like okay what the hell is this where <laughs> where can i set it to so sometimes I'm like, oh, this sounds a little bit like a uh, confession. This could sound a little bit insomniac. This could sound a little bit like uh, hell deep. So I just try to mix my sound, but I don't stop myself from like from having a preconceived idea of where I want this track to be. Like sometimes I'm going to like pull out another track for reference. Like let's say uh, like some MK song has a really distinct perk or really distinct piano that I like. Yeah. I like, okay, so I'm going to listen to it like 500 times in the DAW and try to figure it out. But I don't like starting with a preconception idea of where I'm going with this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that style, man. And, and you never really know. And, and, and again, I, again, that goes back into the actual combination of elements right i said g house tech bass house i mean you've got some songs with disco and soul in them as well too so i think at the end of the day man people that try and pigeonhole themselves into a certain type of lane or sound usually end up affecting their own creativity levels and it sounds like you're always challenging yourself with new types of genres right yeah exactly i like to incorporate as many elements like as soon as there's an element that i like i'm gonna be like okay that's cool i need to make a song with it i need to like, I, I don't try to fit in the song into a genre. I'm just like, whatever sounds good to me, whatever I like, I'm just going to put it into the song. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it backfires because sometimes I have a sound or a scent that I made and I want to put it so much into the track and I lose <laughs> so much time trying to make it fit. And sometimes after like a couple hours, I'm like, that was a massive mistake. It's get it out there. I <laughs> gosh, you know, I know that song and dance. You hear one note on one synth and it's like, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, and you need to make it fit into the song, but it just doesn't want to. <laughs> that's, that's the problem with humans, man. It's, it's the beauty in it all is we try so hard to make something sound great when it sounds great to us. And we're like, oh, I don't know if this actually even is good anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, man. Now, Mr. Kasnowski, I want to ask you something, of course, like we've messaged about before. I just released something, um, let's see, today's Tuesday. Gosh, I can't keep track of the days anymore. I'm considering this time for the electronic music industry to be a time for everybody to work in the off-season. Yep. You know, obviously, like I've mentioned, a huge aspect of our business is the live festival, club, uh, venue, whatever it might be. You know, how are you looking at everything in the future tense with COVID putting everybody on the bench? What's kind of your advice either to others? And, of course, what's your mental space uh, to stay creative right now? 
my biggest advice to everyone right now would be just shut up. It's happening. It's happening. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. Just sit down in the studio and put in the work. Yeah. Like you need to put yourself in that state of mind where uh, things that you cannot control, don't let them affect you. Don't like spend days like thinking and being sad or mad about something you cannot control like COVID and whatnot. Just look at the situation and be like, just think what is the best I can get out of this. And for me, it was like, okay, I have no shows. I don't have to travel. I don't have all those crazy expenses. Of course, I'm losing money because I don't making any, I'm not making any shows, Right. but I have so much time. And I think during this whole quarantine, I've made more music than I made like the past year and a half. And I've made the best music of my life. And like, wow. I've signed many records on like labels that I was looking up to. And I wouldn't believe like I would get there in the next like couple of years, but I actually made the music to get there like Great. while in quarantine, because I was like, all right, there's nothing else to do. This is my only avenue to get better, to continue catering to my fan base. Mm -hmm. So I got to go all in into it. So yeah, COVID sucks, but make the best out of it. You have all this free time now. And I know everybody has free time now. If they're saying that they don't have free time. Like, <laughs> I know in the US, it's kind of hard because uh, with the whole stimulus check um, situation, it's kind of hard making ends meet. Yeah. But for a lot of people that I know, like, they're being not depressed, but they're like, oh, there's no show, so I'm not going to put... Uh, I'm not going to put effort into music. Well, those are the people that are not going to be there when it starts all over again. Like when festivals are going to start all over again, they're going to have uh, financial difficulties. They're going to be stressed. They're going to be up against the wall. And who are they going to be looking up to is the guys that put in the work while, while everything was stuck. The guys that have a mature project and some mature products, which are the songs. And they're going to be like, those are some surefires to you know, give us a good performance and a good return on our investment. So if you put in the work during the downtime, when it starts all over again, people are going to take notice and that's how you're going to get bookings. Yeah. Damn, bro. I'm going to, I'm going to save that statement and write it down <laughs> the whole role. I could not agree more. And, you know, there are two sides of this coin, right? So I don't know where the time has gone, like I said earlier, but March, I think it was 13th or so, really, the United States kind of said, hey, shit's shutting down. And now it's three months later. And the scope has changed a lot. We kind of have an idea of what it might look like for the future. And we know that is nothing for right now, right? And I'm looking at it in a glass half full because I picture this as an opportunity to actually catch up to those mm -hmm. who might want to take a step back. And then on the other side of that coin, I see it as an opportunity for those who are big to actually maybe relax and focus on things that are a little more simple and get back to that creative insight. Like you said many times in this interview, you feel most creative when you're just in the right mindset. Exactly. And I think that can be really tough for world-class DJs who tour by themselves 99% of the time. Now they're at home in a place where they originally felt inspired. And, and that statement is based on people I've talked to. So I see this just like you do, man. And we have got to take advantage of this time off. It sucks. And again, I agree with you, putting financials to the side. It is tough because a lot of people who are either, like you said, DJ DJs, DJ producers, make money off touring, whatever it might be. This is definitely a difficult time and I'm not denying that at all. But we're all in this together for the first time ever. The whole world is in this together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. never, natural disasters, 
world wars weren't really world wars. You know, like there were people who weren't truly affected. And now a pandemic for the first time in our lives, in our generation, is putting everybody on the bench together, especially the music industry. So I agree with you. Get in the studio, work hard, build your brand, connect with your fans, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, crazy, yeah. crazy. No, no. I think the this whole pandemic thing is gonna bring uh like a it's kind of a reset button for the music industry because yeah. whether you like it or not, there's a lot of people in the music industry that are there not for the good reasons. Like the DJ DJs, like DJs that are there with pre-recorded sets are only there to party, like bringing some girls that are there for the clout. Those people are all gonna disappear because yep. they do not have the will to put in the work during this quarantine, during this downtime. Yep. So they're just gonna fade out and actually leave those those festival, those event spots to people that put in the work, to producers. So I think there's gonna be kind of an uprise let's say in producers in the mid range of bookings because mm -hmm. all the all like the fake personas the fake artists or like the um, like the promoters that improvise themselves as djs to their own event like all of that is gonna like go down the drain and right. the real producers are gonna step up since they're the one who put in the work absolutely and we we see through those types of people now right who just like mm -hmm post something and it's just a picture and you're like, well, what's going on with your music, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. And exactly, um, I see eye to eye with you on that, my man. Um, I want to ask you one last question. And, and this is something you've already given a lot of good advice on. In your experience as a DJ, what do you think have been some things that have really differentiated you from other producers or DJs to get to where you're at now? And what would be your advice to younger guys trying to make it in the industry? Uh, like I said, I think my biggest advice would be not to go try to go too fast. Like I think one of one of the experiences that sucked the most for me, but it was actually the most beneficial, was really starting at the bottom of the bottom of the uh, of the ladder of the like the sh like, the pile of shit of the ladder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to play for like 50 bucks a night in shitty bars, shitty clubs, getting glasses thrown at me for not playing the right music, like getting punch getting i wouldn't say i did i wouldn't say getting punched is a good thing but you know i was with <laughs> some really drunk and non-appreciative people a lot of the time mm -hmm. so i learned to adapt really quickly because of that so you know <laughs> it, it made me be like i'd say more i'd say better at reading the crowd and that's why i never go to a festival set or an event set or whatever you want with a with a playlist of what I want to play, I usually put like three or four hundreds of the tracks I like, and I'm like, I'm just gonna go with whatever the crowds want. Like, I'm just gonna adjust. And I think, like, really starting in shitty clubs and shitty bars, you learn to do that as opposed to someone who never played a club gig, just goes in front of a like a big event with 10,000 people. They don't know how to react, they don't know how to you know, vibe with the crowd and read them and know what they're thinking, you know? Yeah. So I think really starting at the bottom of the barrel, uh, it helps learning those those skills. And uh, yeah, and it also helps because you're at the bottom, you start reaching out to other people at the bottom and you just help yourself like uh, get get back up. And that's how you make 
like really good friendship that are gonna last through the years in music and like someone you've been stuck at the bottom of the barrel at the beginning when you're famous they're still gonna be there when they're famous they're still gonna be there and you're still both gonna be there to help each other out so it brings it, it gets back again to my mentality of creating a community around music and stop like with this whole like um with this whole rivalry that we're having in north america and stuff like that man that was beautiful that was awesome. <laughs> that really was that was that was poetic i couldn't <laughs> ignore that and and honestly that's why i look up to guys like you because i myself came from indiana right there's no electronic music scene in indiana man i mean i went to a college where it was a lot of people that went there and i dj'd there and of course, there was a market because you can only go so many places. But I came to Chicago, let's call it basically on my own. And I started this podcast and I started interviewing people who were, you know, at a lower level. It's been three and a half years now. And or actually longer than that. And now those people have had success in their own way, along with me. And we're closer friends because of that. So I think there is something so humbling about knowing, hey, I'm at a point where I have no connections. People don't know who I am, but I've got a chance to really build my own lane and develop long-lasting friendships that are more than just relationships to get me to somewhere in the industry, right? Like, it's exactly. so simple. Exactly. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, do not try to reach out to people higher than you. Like, yeah. in, like I'm not saying there's like a hierarchy in music, but there's kind of one, you know, there's like, yeah, <laughs> there is. So don't try to reach out at those people higher up than you, because first, they're not going to give a shit about you, because a lot of people sometimes they're just going to they're not going to see your messages and whatnot. Instead of trying to reach out to people higher than you for them to give you like a, a hand to bring you up, try to create a community on people on your level and bring everyone to that next level because if you're always the guy like kissing asses and everything from, <laughs> from people up top nobody's gonna like you yeah. and that's a fact nobody's gonna nobody likes an ass kisser so <laughs> just try to create a like it's always like that surround yourself with people with the same goals as you create a community and move forward with those people and don't put pressure on you like a lot of people are like i want to be the next i don't say like i want to be the next chubby i want to be the next david Geller. don't focus on being the next something or something there's already one it's already saturated yep focus on being yourself and being the next yourself you know being the thing that you could be like don't try to emulate too much like copying someone could be good but like to emulate it to a point that you want to be the next bigger artist like like i can see it as a compliment but it's it's not what's going to bring you to the next level like individuality and uniqueness is going to bring you to the next level so that's why you create your circle surround yourself and you all like justin and i my manager we come from the middle of nowhere and now we're like sending out shows in amsterdam and stuff like that yeah. so and we did that by just pulling, like pulling together, working together. And now we've got uh, we've got Camille from Montreal, who's a really good producer. From uh, he has a release over on Tool Room. We have Dave Dave Summit, who's with us now. So we just take like almost like a ragtag team of misfits that we pull <laughs> together and work together, trying to achieve something new. 
I agree, man. I think uh, comparing yourself to people is the wrong way to look at it. Finding inspiration is a great way, and I really yeah. respect that. I think that's pretty much what you said. Do you have any news or announcements, upcoming releases that you can tell us about? I know you said you got a lot of upcoming label releases. Anything you can uh, announce? Uh, I have one that's coming on July 10th that mm -hmm. is going to be really, really good, really different from what I do. Okay. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a pop record, but uh, right. it's like a piano house pop record. It's gonna be really different from what I've put out lately. Uh, I can't say yet for uh, until like a couple of weeks until where it's gonna go out. But I may have dropped a sneak peek in my story on IG, but also have a release coming on Confession in September, and that I can say because I've spoiled it uh, on a live stream at some point. So yeah, I'm just saying it. <laughs> It's out there anyway. <laughs> yes! Congratulations, man. Oh, That's thank you very much. Awesome. Hell uh, yes, Mikaya. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm real glad because like confession has always been like a like a huge goal for me to get there. So like uh, they they accepted one of my one of my tracks. So I'm like really, really happy about it. It's gonna come out in September. I'm not gonna spoil any more of it, but uh, we That's my soul, at least. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll send I'll send you a promo. Okay, good, dude. Congratulations on that, man. I knew I, I knew that was a good question to end on. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> I'm super hyped now. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Uh, again, I just want to end by acknowledging you on all the hard work and success you've had. Truly, am a big fan. Chicago loves you, and I'm so excited to see what the future holds for you, brother. And keep crushing on your label. Keep crushing on your releases. And keep wearing your heart on your sleeve because it's obvious that, like I said, you've got humble beginnings and it's really, really exciting to see where you're going to go. Well, man, uh, I'm so glad you're like saying all that stuff really means a lot to me. <laughs> and it's the same for you, man. Keep crushing. You said you've been doing like all those interviews for almost four years. You've been like building it a little by little. So yeah. that's the spirit. It's something you're proud of. It's something you <laughs> like doing. You know, it's what drives you. So be proud of it. Be happy about it. And man, I'm. 100% behind you and whenever you need me to be back on or whatever like yeah. I'm there man. just DM me and anytime this is episode 115 that's a lot damn <laughs> <laughs> we're doing like an episode a week episode a week yeah it started it started um September 2016 so I guess September 2020 coming up here soon in about three months it'll be four years which is crazy but you know, it's 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 been a slow burn, and, and now that I'm here talking to someone, uh, you know, of your level and as humble as you are, uh, it really is an honor, man. So I appreciate the time. Well, I really appreciate like the invitation and having me over and everything. Like, this is like I've never done anything like that, so I'm like super like jiggy about it. Job. You did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, man. <laughs> Well, you have a fantastic night, my man. And uh, again, I really appreciate it. Such a huge fan. I'll keep spreading the good word of Kasnowski here in Chicago, okay? All right. Well, thank you very much. And like, I'll, I'll tell pe people about you, and I'll, I'll try to send some artists your way if you want to. Dave Summit. You said he's taking over the world, huh? Oh, yeah. He's going to take over the world. So I'm definitely getting you, Dave, for uh, next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds good, brother. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Peace, homie.